By Wednesday morning, I mean, we were looking at Oz and McCormick being separated by fewer than 1,500 votes. They each had about 31% of the vote, and then Kathy Barnett had about 24, 25% coming in third. Welcome to Pennsylvania in Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. If you have not already, we ask you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to this podcast so you don't miss any new episodes of Pennsylvania in Focus. Now here's your host, Dan McCaleb. Thank you, Cole, and welcome to the Pennsylvania in Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Pennsylvania in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. Joining me again today are Anthony Hennon, our Pennsylvania reporter. How you doing, Anthony? I'm good. I'm good. And, of course, Managing Editor Alan Wooten, who oversees the Center Square's coverage in Pennsylvania and other U.S. states. Welcome, Alan. Good afternoon, Dan. Anthony, good to be here. We are recording this on Thursday, May 19th. Anthony Allen and Allen, Pennsylvania voters this week decided a number of races in Tuesday's primary election. But one key race, the Republican primary for U.S. Senate, remains too close to call. Anthony, bring us up to speed on what's uh, going on in that race between Dr. Mehmet Oz and former hedge fund manager David McCormick. Yeah, uh, it's dragging. Um, basically, we had a bit of a three-way race going here between Oz, McCormick, and also uh, Kathy Barnett, who had a bit of a grassroots campaign and surged in the polling um, late. Uh, so by Wednesday morning, I mean, we were looking at uh, Oz and McCormick being separated by fewer than 1,500 votes. Um, about th- each had about 31% of the vote, and then Kathy Barnett had about 24, 25% coming in third. Um, and uh, we're still counting. Uh, by the time this podcast goes out tomorrow, we might still be counting. Um, it's not quite clear. Um, what is clear is that we're almost certainly heading toward a uh, recount. Um, even you know, uh, Pennsylvania law. If the vote is within 0.5% of uh, the margin, then uh, it's an automatic recount. Um, even if somehow we would get outside of that, which feels very unlikely, um, it's almost certain that Oz or McCormick would have demanded a recount as well. Um, so, you know, there's uh, there's still votes trickling in, being counted. Uh, you know, the the totals are moving here and there. But it's really it's not clear. Um, at one point, McCormick was up, and then I, I think Oz is still up by a very slim margin right now. Um, it might finish that way, and then we'll see a recount. It might switch again, but yeah, this uh, this isn't going to be decided for another couple of days, probably. Very good. And Anthony, as we look at these two guys, I mean, they're looking to take the uh, uh, make a run for in November to take the seat of uh, Pat Toomey. Uh, a very uh, noted fiscal expert. Which of these guys may shine a little bit uh, to, to replace him and be good in that regard? Uh, it's it's hard to say here. I, I think, uh, you know, McCormick at least has been in Pennsylvania longer, kind of has some more of these connections. Um, Oz sort of came out of nowhere and there was some early controversy about whether he even, you know, qualified to run in Pennsylvania, whether he had lived here long enough, that sort of thing. Um, you know, he he got he got a an endorsement from Donald Trump, though it's not quite clear whether, uh, you know, how uh, definitive that's been, or whether Barnett coming in kind of split the race. 
or you know McCormick, not uh, some of his support possibly going to Carlos Sands or some other uh, candidates that got a few percentage points. Um, you know, McCormick seems more like the type uh, who would replace Toomey in a similar vein. Um, but it, it's it's hard to say simply because we don't have as much um, you know history of either candidate here. Uh, McCormick was a former federal official. Um, Oz has had no political experience before, so it's really hard to say. Um, you know, reading over their platforms, they both broadly kind of hit the same notes. There's not a, a dramatic ideological split here. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's going to shake out, but we won't really know until we get the experience happening. Dr. Oz, of course, was endorsed by former President uh, Donald Trump. Um, uh, Trump's influence on Republican primaries has more than been the key key talking points as primaries uh, are held across the country. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. And of course, the winner of that race between Dr. Oz and David McCormick will face off against Lieutenant Governor John uh, Fetterman in November. He he uh, uh, John Fetterman run won the Democratic primary days after suffering a stroke. <clears throat> Let's talk about some other Pennsylvania races, uh, though, Anthony. Uh, the GOP held a primary for governor. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so this one was um, sort of surprising and not surprising at the same time. Um, uh, Doug Mastriano, who is a first-term state senator, um, won the primary for governor. Um, this had been sort of brewing for a while. Uh, Mastriano was able to get an early lead um, in the polls and been sort of a, a fairly strong uh, gap uh, since about mid-April or so. Um, this caused concern among a number of uh, uh, number of people in the Republican Party of Pennsylvania, and they kind of had a last-ditch effort to try to get a few other candidates to drop out so there would be a more viable uh, non-Masterano candidate. Uh, that did not work out, uh, it, so it seemed like the uh, you know that that more moderate strain of Republicans. There were there were three candidates who were bringing in at least double digit numbers. None of them wanted to pull out. Um, so Mastriano won with about forty five percent of the votes. Um, he also he got an endorsement from Donald Trump, uh, but very late. I think only a few days before the actual primary ran. Um, so it 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 doesn't it seemed more like a case of Trump bandwagoning onto Mastriano rather than giving him a, a, a bump to lead a surge. Um, so Mastriano took it. Um, you have the Democratic candidate, Josh Shapiro, is um, almost excited about facing Mastriano. He called him, uh, Shapiro called Mastriano an ex extremist candidate. So Mastriano has been very loud about um, questioning the uh, validity of um, the 2020 election and um, vote, voter integrity in Pennsylvania. Um, so it's it's going to be an interesting one. It's very much a situation of an outsider candidate getting the uh, governor nomination for the Republican Party. Um, and the GOP itself is sort of has no one else to blame uh, because they declined to endorse anyone in this race. This is a very crowded field um, and they just sort of sat it out and let let uh, see what will happen. And uh, now we'll have a uh, Mastriano versus uh, Shapiro in the fall. Well, let's go back a little bit to what you said about Mastriano and, and being accused of being an extremist candidate. Um, part of the reason for that is if you can explain the the length of um, 
uh, control or influence that a governor would have on the way that the elections are set up. And of course, that's the big talking point when they talk about Donald Trump getting involved and calling it an election, uh, you know, one that was stolen and that kind of thing. What is it that Mastriano, if he was governor, would be able to do or not do uh, towards the way the elections are set up? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, obviously Mastrano would be appointing um, the secretary of the Commonwealth to the Pennsylvania Department of State, which heads up um, m- most of the uh, running elections in the state. Um, it's also it's also interesting because the Republicans control the General Assembly. Um, so he could have an influence there on on budget or other laws, um, you know, pushing voter ID laws or getting rid of um, drop boxes, um, possible policies around early voting. Um, they, I mean, they, there's a fair amount Mastrano can do either just as leader of the executive branch here in determining what uh, the Department of State would take care of. Uh, but also, you know, he would have an easier time uh, than, say, Democratic Governor Tom Wolf of, uh, you know, getting some funding priorities through or working with Republicans in the General Assembly to, you know, get more funding, get less funding. Um, one of the lingering issues in Pennsylvania is that uh, for a state of its size, uh, both physically and by population, uh, Pennsylvania doesn't su- supply a lot of state support for running these elections. A lot of this stuff is up to um, local and county level entities. Um, so, I mean, Pennsylvania's funding, when you break it down, it's a, similar to uh, North Dakota, Rhode Island, some of these smaller states, both either in size or in population. Um, so as, as far as election goes, I, I think you could see more restrictive laws around, um, you know, who qualifies to vote, the ways you can vote, um, the time frame you have to vote, as well as, um, you know, whether these county election boards would get any extra funding or not, which has been a sore issue um, in Pennsylvania for the past couple of years. So there, there, there's a lot of leeway here. And, um, you know, with, with the Republicans controlling the executive branch and the legislative branch if Mastriano wins, there's a lot more flexibility. Well, thank you for your reporting and your insight on the uh, Pennsylvania primaries, Anthony. I'm sure it was a late night for you uh, on Tuesday. Look forward Indeed. to your... Con- <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Look forward to your continued coverage, uh, one, in determining the uh, the winner of that U.S. Senate Republican primary, and but also uh, coverage leading up to the November general, general uh, election. And while uh, the primaries are partisan, you wrote this week about a bipartisan effort um, in Pennsylvania with the Democratic Governor Tom Wolf and Republican Senator Gene Yaw teaming up uh, to make Pennsylvania a clean hydrogen hub. Tell us more about this. Yeah, so uh, th- this is this is generally connected to Pennsylvania being such a an important um, energy producing state. Um, I think it's ranked number three in the nation, um, just right behind Texas, if I remember correctly. Uh, but essentially, um, there is a federal push to create um, a few uh, regional clean hydrogen hubs across the nation as a way to sort of expand expanding the use of what they call clean hydrogen and um, transitioning toward uh, the industrial sector um, being less reliant on carbon-based energy sources, anything like that. Um, So generally, uh, you know, Pennsylvania Democrats have been pushing more uh, action for things like wind, solar, these sort of non-fossil fuel uh, sources of uh, power and energy. 
Republicans have been much more in favor of expanding, um, you know, hydraulic fracturing in the state, um, you know, not not as uh, anti-coal as the Democrats. Um, but th- this is this is sort of some common ground here, because if uh, one, there's just a lot of money uh, possibly at play here where uh, the Biden administration is setting up to, I believe that it was eight billion with a B. Um for at least four of these uh, clean hydrogen hubs across the U.S. So, it, you know, uh, if there's more than four, Pennsylvania might lose some possible billions. If there's less, might you know, we'll see how that uh, balances out. But there's a lot of money here at stake. Uh, Democrats like this uh, idea because it's a non-fossil fuel project. Um, it can create some union jobs and you're getting more federal money from it. Um, Republicans, you know, th- this sort of aligns with their push for economic growth. You're also getting more federal money coming in here. Um, and you're not necessarily undermining um, the state's uh, fracking industry or anything like that. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where this goes, how this develops, um, what one project that uh, sort of attracted the uh, endorsement of Republican Gene Yaw, who heads up um, the uh, the Environmental and Energy Committee in the Senate. Um, he's been sort of pushing to lay out uh, state regulations for these um, uh, carbon capture um, projects, which would essentially take carbon and store it underground. Um, and that would factor into this uh, clean clean hydrogen hub sort of thing. So th- there's a lot of uh, there there's a lot of potential here for Pennsylvania to keep you know keep the um, fracking industry going and being a core um, energy exporter throughout the United States as well as working on some green energy uh, projects at the same time. And and so looking at it timeframe-wise, sort of a two-part question for you, Anthony. Um, do we know what kind of timeframe it could be for Pennsylvania to be having a, a, a hub active and, and being participating in this? And how would that time out with the potential other three, uh, three plus or minus locations in the country? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's hard to say. Um, one, because it's a you know it's a federal project; these things can move very slow. Um, the uh, the Department of Energy is taking uh, applications uh, for these projects. I believe for over the next year. I, I think um, the application process opens in another month or two. Um, so you know, you'll have different states sending in uh, proposals for these projects. Um, as far as getting these things built and up and running, um, I would expect it's going to be at least five to ten years. Um, it's it's you know it's not it's not what uh, people love to call a shovel ready project. So th- this is not this is not going to be something done before Wolf is out of office. Uh, it might take longer than uh, you know the next governor being in office, uh, but it would be you know it would be a major um, project here with a lot of money attached to it and a lot of possibilities. Um, the, the problem here, of course, is, you know, it's a new thing and it's not clear, um, you know, how profitable this might be, how uh, how well it lives up to the hype. Um, so, you know, as, as far as creating some construction jobs and that sort of thing, you know, it'll it'll be there for maybe not 100 percent, but it will at least be something, um, whether it's cost effective or the best use of federal money uh, is a different story and one that we probably won't know for a while anyway. Like Anthony, let's move on. Uh, drug overdoses across the country have risen, risen sharply um, since the pan- pandemic. Um, 
began a new report uh, from the U.S. Centers for D Disease Control and Prevention. Um, it came out show, uh, and shows the 2021 drug overdose death numbers up across the country, as I said, but Pennsylvania particularly sticks out. Yeah, uh, this is, you know, these have been some bleak statistics uh, for a few years now. Um, I mean, drug over overdose deaths hit a record high in 2020. Um, and then this year, 2021, we surpassed that by another 15%. Um, nationally, we're looking at um, something like more than 100,000 people have died annually. 107,622 um, have died annually from drug overdoses in 2021. Um, the more majority of these, about 70% or so, is coming from synthetic opioids, primarily things like fentanyl. Um, Pennsylvania, while nationally it rose about 15%, uh, Pennsylvania's overdose deaths only rose 3.5%. Uh, while that looks, you know, better uh, than the national average here, um, it's not quite because Pennsylvania is already number three in the country for drug overdose deaths. So th this seems more a case of, you know, the state was already so high that it was hard for uh, these drug overdose deaths to shoot up. I mean, you look at some, some of the highest states were, I believe, um, Alaska, North Dakota, some of these places that had only had a few hundred um, overdose deaths in the previous year. So it's easy for them to increase. But Pen Pennsylvania's numbers have been um, high for a while. Um, you look back to 2015, um, nationally, since then, the number of drug overdose deaths have doubled, more than doubled. Um, in Pennsylvania in 2015, uh, there's a death rate from drug overdoses of about 26 people per 100,000. Uh, in 2020, that had almost doubled up to 42 people per 100,000. Um, so this this is a long running problem in Pennsylvania, especially um, Ohio is another state where there's been a big problem. Um, West Virginia, uh, parts of New York and Massachusetts, uh, you know, th this is this is a broad, broad problem. Uh, and this has also put a big strain uh, in on Pennsylvania and its uh, criminal justice system. Um, I mean, some police departments, the majority of their time now is spent dealing with problems connected to drugs. Um, some places where a DUI arrest might be, you know, 1% of those may have been uh, related to drugs rather than alcohol. Now it's about 50% of them. Um, so you're seeing a lot of police time being dedicated to this. You're seeing um, prisons dealing with drug addictions, which can also be tied to mental illness. Uh, there, I mean, there's a lot of costs here, both economically and just on the human cost of people suffering, people dying, people not being able to have a normal life not to mention the stress that has um, on those people's families. So it's, it's, it's a big problem. Um, Pennsylvania's numbers percentage-wise look low, like we might be turning a corner. But when you dig into this, um, not at all. And this, this is a lingering problem. This is only going to continue. Um, it, 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 there's, not, there's not a lot of good news here when you're looking at Pennsylvania, sadly. Yeah, kind of, kind of a sad story. Um, and if you know of anyone uh, who's got an addiction, please, uh, please get them help. Um, uh, bill is making its way through the legislature, uh, Anthony, that would um, increase transparency when it comes to public pensions in the state. Um, tell us more about this. 
Yeah, so this is uh, this is one bill among a few others that are kind of floating around. Um, Pennsylvania has had um, a longstanding problem with its public pension system, um, mostly due to um, not properly funding them. Uh, when, when you look at it nationally, uh, Pennsylvania is 41st in the nation for funding its pension systems. Um, it's gotten better in recent years. Um, the national average is a funding ratio of about 72%. Uh, but Pennsylvania is looking at about 59% for its funding. It used to be uh, much farther down in the low 50s, um, but the state has been better at being aware this is a long-running problem. Um, in 2018, there was a report issued um, about the, the pension problems in the Commonwealth with some reforms attached um, to it as recommendations. And the legislature is kind of... Uh, taking a chipping away at the problem rather than trying to do one big bill they're kind of breaking up into different areas so this one um which was pushed by uh representative brett miller who's based out in uh, lancaster pennsylvania uh this would essentially just be a transparency bill where there's these uh performance-based fees that public retirement systems pay to investment managers but we don't know how much those fees are they're not reported publicly um even uh, state representatives in the General Assembly can't get data on them. Uh, so this bill would explicitly uh, require public pension fund fees to be reported to the Assembly and made public um, so that you know we have an idea of how much investment managers are uh, being paid to manage these public pension systems, um, especially for alternative investments, which tend to be something like any sort of non-stock or non-bond investment. Um, so that can apply to real estate or whatever. Else, have you? Uh, these and these fees can be uh, high. I mean, we're talking millions, possibly tens or hundreds of millions, if not more, um, looking over years. So it's, it's not it's not a small little win for transparency. Uh, if if this ends up passing and becoming law, uh, we'll have a much better sense of where all the money is going for these public pension funds and how uh, the state can properly fund them. Is it is it do you get a sense that um, if this does become transparent, that maybe the fees, uh, they might not change, but uh, it might be that something in the system changes so that the fees aren't as high. Maybe somebody else is chosen or something along those lines. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think if it does come through, that's probably the most uh, most likely situation where, you know, if 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 the general assembly is aware of how much extra they're paying compared to, you know, an average fee for other States and pension uh, systems, you know, it's, it's going to be easy switch. Uh, maybe not as much for alternative investments just because you know, real estate is not as liquid as a bond or a stock. Um, but that's at least, you know, it's going to put it in stark terms, how much money the state is spending on a fee rather than funding pension obligations. Um, this is also, this is not new on a national level. We have something like, I, I think there's almost two dozen states who have um, similar requirements for those fees to be known. Um, so, you know, th this is not something where it's a trade secret that would burst open and really hurt performance here. This would be more insightful of uh, just how they're spending money that should be funding, you know, public employee retire retirement uh, funds. So, We'll, we'll see what happens with it. Um, I think if nothing else, this will give uh, legislators a sort of a uh, reality check on how much money is involved with pensions and how much how much money we're wasting or, you know, maybe how much we're saving if uh, we want to take an extremely optimistic look uh, at the matter. 
Thank you for that. Now we only have a couple minutes left, uh, but I'm going to take us off script here for this last uh, item. Uh, we were talking in uh, pre-production about the cost of a gasoline and how it's affecting consumers. Every day this week, the U.S. sent a new record um, for how high the cost of gasoline is. Currently, I'm looking at AAA's website. Uh, the average price for a gallon of gasoline across the country is $4.59. In California, it is over, it has surpassed $6, where it's $6.06 .06 a gallon there. Pennsylvania also ex uh, exceeds the uh, national average. Pennsylvania, it's $4.77. How are Pennsylvania residents, how, you, Anthony, how, how do you cope with that? Uh, so personally, uh, I'm a little, I'm a little spoiled here. I live right in the center of uh, Philadelphia. So I, I rarely drive at this point. I can walk, I can take the bus, um, or the subway. So personally, it's not really hitting me hard. Um, aside from, uh, skipping some hiking trips here and there out into the woods of Pennsylvania. Um, broadly though, statewide, you know, people are very upset about this and understandably so, um, you know, Prices were already rising uh, significantly due to inflation and other pressures. And then with the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, all that became much worse. Um, so, you know, it's it's definitely hit if especially if you're if you're in a rural area where you have to drive 30, 40, 50 miles for work. Uh, that adds up extremely quickly. Um, you, you see on, on the political level, um, you know, the General Assembly is making noise about suspending uh the state gas tax to kind of help cut down on uh, these high costs. Uh, Pennsylvania has a significant gas tax. I think it's something like 54 cents. Um, so, you know, that that adds up quickly. Um, even on uh, the Democratic side, um, Josh Shapiro, uh, who will be running for governor, has proposed sending um, sending families like a $200 gas uh, gift card to save money. Um, so it's it's unfortunate, you know, Prices are up. Uh, some some of this is out of our uh, control. Some of it isn't. Uh, but this this is one of those things where if people can cut back, uh, it'll pay off. Um, but until then, you know, you just have to bite the pain and hope uh, hope something can change quickly. Production can ramp up. Something driving down prices. But it's not a it's not a happy subject for anybody. And that cost is coming through the, uh, the, the the goods and services that we get too. I mean, the, you know, it's costing more to get our groceries to the store and things like that. So, even if we don't drive it, it's it's hitting everybody everywhere. It really is. Yeah, and and, and the way it's looking, it's not going to come down anytime soon. In fact, I've seen some forecasts that uh, gasoline prices is going to across the country on average is going to exceed six dollars a gallon. Not just be an issue there and in California, but uh, we'll we are all now attention. California. I'm sorry, Anthony. We are all now California. <laughs> well, if it's six dollars across the country, what's it going to be in that in California itself? Eight dollars? Don't want to oh. think about it. All right. Well, thank you, Anthony and Alan. But that's all the time we have this week. This has been the Pennsylvania in Focus podcast, part of the America's Topic Talking Network. Find all of the Center Squares podcasts at americastalking.com. For Anthony Hennon and Alan Wooten, I'm Dan McCaleb. We'll talk to you next week.